Welcome to this edition of GovTech Today. I'm the host, Russell Lowry. With me today is my co-host, Jen Seha. Hey there. Hey, how are you today, Jen? Great. Hanging in there. I'm hoping to draw some of your expertise out for our audience today on the issue of GovTech, but particularly doing business with the state of California. Are you up for that? I'm up for it, always. I thought we'd start out with knowing the different acquisition methods of interacting with the state. They do a variety of different ways to purchase goods and services. But I thought to tee that off, it's so complicated, it's so hard. Why should businesses go through the headache of doing business with the state? There are a ridiculous number of hurdles to jump to be able to contract with government. But if you're not, contracting with government, you're leaving a massive proportion of spending completely out of your possibilities. I like to think back to COVID when everything hit the fan, people were losing their jobs, people were sick and at home and no one knew what was happening with the economy. Government was spending more than ever. It's horrible to say it, but like for technology, for emergency services, for our pharmaceutical industry, COVID was an extremely successful emergency, and that's because government prints money. Uh, At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. If the economy tanks, government is a, a huge contributing factor to how you get out of that. So I love focusing on government because it is a little bit recession proof. And once you're in, you have to do something pretty bad to lose a government contract. We're talking illegal Uh, Maybe not even then, honestly, (laughs) but you really have to mess it up to lose a government contract. So while your sales cycles aren't the same, you're not going to see every quarter we're landing X number of deals, super long sales cycles, super complicated, probably have to hire someone to help you figure it all out. But at the end of the day, it's tried and true, and it will continue to be for the foreseeable future. I appreciate you lending your expertise to me and our audience. As we're talking about this and over the weeks, as we dive deeper and deeper, we'll get into more detail. But on this one, I thought we'd just give an overview of some of the state programs and we think about where they fit and some of the procurement methods. And over the weeks, we'll go deeper and come up with some different examples. But I thought this one might just serve as an kind of an overview of the whole thing. So there are several different types of what are called leverage procurement agreements, LPAs. So I thought we'd just walk through those. And the first one is the master agreement. That sounds pretty awesome. The master (laughs) agreement. (laughs) What is a master agreement? I mean, like stepping back, the first thing you're going to want to do is understand that government is completely different than the private sector. You don't say, we want whatever the software is. We want service now. You say, we want a workflow management software. You're dealing with public dollars. There's additional scrutiny on these dollars. It's not your money as a public servant. It's the public's money. So there are increased levels of scrutiny in tearing apart these contracts Competition is at the foundation of it. Everything government does has to be competitive, and that's how they know they're getting the best deal, the best price, the best product for what their needs are. So government establishes these master agreements, these leveraged contracts, and it's step one to doing business in the state. 
you can shop your products or services around town all day long. And the question you're going to get, if so, if what, someone from that state department is like, we love it, we want you, how do I buy you? And that's always the question, How do I right? buy you? So yes. an LPA just answers the question, how exactly. do I buy you? That, the LPA is... <laughs> it's not PayPal. It's right. not I know. Like, we can't <laughs> just scan a credit card like you do at home. No. I'm The LPA is the vehicle by which you're going to deliver your services or your goods. Okay. So the state has a few of them. And the Master Services Agreement in California, it's called CMAS, California... Okay. Master Services Agreement, Master Agreement for Services, CMAS. It's built quite a bit off of the federal GSA schedule. So every different level of government is going to have their own leverage procurement agreements, which complicates things even more, I know. But these are the way people buy. So the federal government has their set of LPAs. The state government has their set. Bigger counties have their set. So L.A. County has one. There's some national ones that are like cooperative purchasing agreements. Depending on what you're selling and who you want to sell it to, you're going to pick which one of these fits best for you. CMAS, goods and services. That's what I would start with, right? Okay. What are you selling? Okay, so I've got, I'm technology company XYZ, mm -hmm. and I've got the latest, greatest software. Yep. And I would like a California multiple award schedule right. listing. What is, what do I do? What's the first so, thing yep, I do? California has ones that are designed specifically for software. Okay. So they have these software licensing program, which is basically like a catalog of software. And if someone at a department says that they need any given software, they can pick it right off of the software license program. My next question is, do you do services? Do you integrate that software? Are you going to... I can. Once, once <laughs> it's in, are you going to get it all squared away on their system and interacting with other softwares? And oh, yep, I have services that go along with that. Technically, that's a different category, right? You're uh. not just selling software. Now you're selling software and services. So we might look at a different leverage procurement agreement, something like CMAS, where I need to buy some products, but I also need some services. The SLP in California does have a category where you can provide services as long as it's integrating the specific software that you purchased. But some of these projects in California are massive, right? We're going to need to overhaul EDD's unemployment insurance system. Huge modernization, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. We're going to need more than just a couple pieces of software, right? right. We're going to need teams. We're going to need multiple pieces of software. They may procure under a different leverage procurement agreement like CMAS, which is a pretty good combo of those goods and services. It's used a lot more for projects where you're bundling up a bunch of those things. Okay. So no one's ever heard of my technology XYZ. I know it would work for the state, but just looking at a list, no one's looking for me. I'm not Microsoft. I'm not a household right. name, <laughs> not to pick on Microsoft there, uh, but must uh, be nice. Must right? be nice. Yep. Everyone knows, at least knows what that is. Do I still want to get on the SLP? Uh, sure. And why would I want to do that? Another important thing to remember with any of these leveraged procurement agreements is you're not going to get on it and start collecting checks. <laughs> It'd be great if that's how it worked, but it really is a license to hunt, meaning 
you're on it. This is your vehicle. This is how people will buy your product or your services. So now you've got to do the legwork of getting out there and hustling and meeting with all these state departments and pitching them on exactly why they need your software, doing the sales behind it, planning the go-to-market strategies behind it. So it's great to be on them, but yeah, it's step one. In step what one is, is getting huge... your license to hunt. So you still need the salesperson that oh, is yeah. doing the outreach to the buyer yep. at the state and convincing them to look for technology XYZ on the uh, on the SLP mm-hmm. so that they could then buy. But yep, look, getting on these contracting vehicles is the easy part. All of the work that comes after that is really where your business is going to succeed or not succeed in this market. It isn't a ticket to tons of money coming in the door, but what it is the first step in your go-to-market strategy in the state. You mentioned the multiple award schedule CMAS, and we've talked a little bit about the software licensing program. In looking at the state website, they identified three other programs. I'm curious, what's the difference for something like a cooperative agreement or a statewide contract? How are those different than the SLP or CMAS? Yeah, it is a little confusing. The way the state breaks it up It makes, I used to be a state employee and it makes sense to them in their state minds. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't make a lot of sense to like a business. It did not make sense to me when I looked at it on the website. A (laughs) business mind, you're like, what is this gobbledygook that is out here? The way they break them up is pretty confusing, but I work mostly in technology, procurement, technology, goods, services, hardware, software, consulting. And the main ones that we really follow there are CMAS, the Software Licensing Program, SLP, and one that used to be called IT Master Services Agreement. Over about a year ago, it was changed, and now it's called the Technology, Data, and Digital Consulting Agreement, or TDDC. We love a good acronym here. If nothing else, the state is notorious for... Say that one more time, please. TDDC, Technology, Data, and Digital Services. Okay. And what is that? That one is the state's labor staff aug type of contract, although we don't call it that. Uh, The unions get a little bristly when you talk about (laughs) bringing in a contractor to do something that a state employee could do, and that's... Totally not the purpose. Technology talent is tough. It's tough, tough to recruit. It's tough for tough everybody. To maintain <laughs> in the private sector or the public sector. And then you pile on top of that all of the challenges that your public sector workforce has. It's even tougher in state government. TDDC lists a bunch of IT classifications, everything from data analyst, data scientist, project manager, IT project management whatever it might be. And there are a lot of those categories. They expanded when they renamed it last year and put a bunch more on. And this is how the state says, we don't have any vacancies. We need someone to do some business analytics for us. Let's hire a staff person at what tends to be an hourly rate off of TDDC. 
So that's more staffing and individual work than software and right. services or like project broken out. work. Yeah, less project work, more I need a body for a while for a very defined purpose. So if a company has software and services, but they might have some excess capacity or some staffing to keep their tech talent busy, yep. they may list it under the TDDC sure. and begin working with the state. Is that going to help me in my bid to do services you know, in the, the other? More, the more government experience you can get, whether it's local government, federal government, another state, the better you're going to look. My favorite thing is when a company will come to me and say, we've worked for Fortune 500 companies and we're in banks and in real estate and in retail. And I'm like, great. What is your government experience? Tell me the government contracts that you've worked on. <laughs> and they're like, we, we haven't really. We're at Bank of America and yes. we're at Apple. And, we're, and I'm like, Every big bid that I've seen requires government experience, even the TDDC. Like if they're hiring a data analyst, they want a data analyst that's worked for another government, right. whether it's the state of California or a local government or another state. You at least know the challenges, right. the differences. It's not the, it's right. not the same no thing. One's, honestly, you're coming in, you might as well have no experience if all you have is corporate or enterprise experience. It is super tough to break into. Everyone's going to want you. It's like interviewing for a job in the private sector, right? Everyone wants you to have experience. It's like, how do I get experience if no one's going to hire me? It reminds me a little bit of that where it's like, gosh, I got to stretch, right? I have to say I worked somewhere else, even though I was just a hostess. I picked up tables every now and no, again. <laughs> I, I have experience as a waiter. So it is really difficult. I, the best way to get around that is to hire people who have worked for other governments, right? And you can list that experience. Totally, in yeah. Your... They're a part of the team. So if I hire Russell and he worked for another company, but right. he worked on government projects, all of a sudden I have that government experience ah, on my team. That is, that's an interesting insight. So it's so... like staffing up so that the company as a whole, including all of your resources, does have that government experience. So much of the state employees are working remotely these days. How does that play in with this technology boom? Or do we have some of these employees working from India or, or the Philippines or Latin America yeah. around global talent? Do you know? In technology, it gets to be a little difficult. Uh, the offshoring gets to be a little difficult, mainly because there are national and state laws that prevent you storing any data outside of the United States. Got it. It's an IT security thing. Sure. Um, and we get it. We respect it. Big guys hate it, right? right? They could do it for way cheaper if you let them store data somewhere else, or if you even let them exchange data somewhere else or use offshore resources. It's just one of those things. It drives the price up, right? You you want these requirements? That's totally fine. The industry can give them to you. It's just going to cost you more. If you Same, want California-based totally. tech talent, that's more expensive than uh, yeah. Paul. Or even talent. like when you talk about teleworking, if you want people that are willing to travel to Sacramento and work here for four days a week in person in an office, you're just further restricting your no. vendor pool, right? Got it. Got it. Or even made in America. No one's debating that some of these political causes are completely valid. But when you look at the competitive landscape, 
by putting these requirements on it, it has to be manufactured or made in America or the labor has to be in America. You're re- what you're ultimately doing is restricting your vendor pool. I have one question as I've seen it and so many people are doing outreach and trying to connect. There are some people who have just written off the government sector just too hard, put it in the too hard bucket and they're on to other things. And then there are other people who are slogging in the sales process that, and they're, they're, they have sled all over LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. There's what is, what is sled? So sled's another one of those great acronyms that we all love so much. State, local, and ED is the education. So those are three deep buckets of dollars. Deep buckets, yeah. And the salesmen are trying to reach, or the salespeople are trying to reach those three different buckets. And those buckets seem so radically different to put them into one bucket. If I'm trying to sell to the state of California, that's different than LA County or the Bay Area or the various education departments, but they're all in one bucket. Do you see that, that it's normal that all of those are led by the same organization or do you break it um, And then then a lot of these organizations will have a fed bucket too, which is federal government. Uh, That's, that one's pretty straightforward. They'll all roll up into your like public sector or government sales structure. But at least in technology, like you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not recognizing this industry. So I have to find where this statistic was. Maybe we can put it in the notes or something. But a few years ago, I was reading, and this is specific to technology, but 10% of the international technology spend is by governments. So if you say I'm not going to focus on it, you're only accessing 90% of the available market. So you're just... You're artificially limiting yourself in that way. The big guys will have entire teams that focus on each letter of the SLED (laughs) acronym, right? We have a state team and this, our state team is so big. Maybe this team only focuses on HHS agencies and this one focuses on corrections and public safety agencies and others break it up different ways. Utilities are sometimes thrown in there. In other organizations, they're not, and they're considered a different thing and handled by your commercial teams. So if I'm a more of a startup, not from the standpoint, my technology is mature, it's proven, I've sold it at the in the private sector, Fortune 500, those sorts of things, but my SLED team is not able to compete against the incumbent providers. How do I approach that from a the standpoint of making it worth my time to try and what do I need to add to my team in order to give me a leg up? There's a couple ways to gain knowledge in anything we do in life, right? Mm-hmm. It's put in the work and learn it or hire it. <laughs> hire people that are smarter than you. That's okay. what I try to do, Lord right. knows. But talk to someone who's out there that deals in this market. Talk to a you or a me that right. deals in this market and you have to weigh your risk rewards with it. I love, and I've seen companies do this. Yep, we're going to do SLED. And every month they want to know what our numbers are and why we haven't closed more deals. And I'm like, guys, this is a different beast. This is not that. We're going to close deals. It's going to take us 18 to 24 months. Those deals are going to be massive. This is the government. They don't screw around. California is huge. Give us time. Give us patience. We're going to grow this, but if you're coming into it blind, first of all, it's that recognition that this is different. Your sales cycles are different. Your budget analysis is different. Getting ahead of a project is different. 
I love someone told me, I don't, I only want to work with people if I can help them write the RFPs. And I was like, well, that's illegal. So <laughs> it's not going to happen. You can help them define their business objectives. But honestly, if you help them write their RFP, you, can't bid. you cannot bid on that <laughs> RFP. Like right. you oftentimes don't want to be the one writing the RFP because right. then you can't win the work. So it's this is not the private sector. And that's day one. As a company, you have to realize it. So I think getting people that have worked in SLED or in public sector procurement overall and that understand that and are willing to make the investment knowing it may not pay off for a couple years, I think that's really the way to go is just staffing up with those people that get it. And as a company as a whole, this can be like your diversification effort, right? We talked a little bit about government being pretty recession-proof. Private sector right now is not spending on technology, (laughs) right? Everyone is getting laid off from these massive companies, but government is. Like we had a $31 billion deficit in the state of California. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't see that many cuts in technology spending. All of the budget proposals that were focused on modernization, those ones got through. Like we are prioritizing it in government. It's It's only in Sacramento. Come over here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Only in Sacramento do you spend $312 billion and people are lamenting a... a deficit in what they had projected to spend. And I know people will react to the shortfall in what their projections were, but miss the 800-pound gorilla, which is somebody's getting those 300-plus billion dollars, and are you getting in it? You mentioned something about the expertise, and particularly procurement expertise, and I'll be the first to admit that procurement expertise is not mine. I understand government really well. I've thought about it pretty much every day since 1991, and I've been at the highest levels. But when people come to me and say, I need to do business with the state, I need procurement expertise, I went out and talked to people who had that specific expertise. And everybody knows somebody in politics, a political consultant or a lobbyist. But procurement is different. Can you just talk about the difference between maybe a lobbyist that's going into the legislature and and someone who's assisting with procurement? It's, It's totally different. And explaining this to people is funny because in some states... People who work on procurement are considered lobbyists. In L.A. County, actually, if you talk to a government employee, I don't know the specifics on this. I'm probably going to butcher it. But like twice in a year, you are considered a lobbyist, like regardless of if you're talking about procurement or a bill or whatever is happening. But at the state level, FPPC says that if I am talking about procurement, if I'm talking about policies at state departments and agencies, that is not considered lobbying. So you got to walk clients through that a lot. And it is, it's different in every state. Those of us that know procurement, you're right. We're few and far between. And a lot of us know it because we worked in it at the state. That's how I learned it, right? I worked at DGS. We were the state's procurement oversight. We maintain the state contracting manual and the state administrative manual that has all the rules for this kind of stuff. But It's really not sexy. My favorite story is I was working for a tech association, gosh, probably six or seven years ago, and we had lobbyists on our team, and I went with our lobbyists to one of the back-to-session bashes, and 
I avoid the Capitol because I'm not a lobbyist. I'm a procurement person. And they would call me when there was a procurement bill. Hey, Jen, we need your help on this procurement bill. Happy to help. Lend my expertise on what I know best. So we meet this legislator who shall remain unnamed. And he was an older guy. And our lobbyist introduced me. And he said, oh, what do you do with the association? And the lobbyist said, oh, Jen handles procurement. And the legislator goes, what's that? And I was like, oh, this is really bad. (laughs) These are the people that are making the policy policy for our state government. So I'm like buying stuff. (laughs) And he was like, oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is really, this is scary a little bit. But that's really what it is, right? It's the contracting. It's the buying behind government. So those of us that are geeks about it. Like government can't function without procurement, but it's this like bad word to so many people because it is, it's complicated, it's hard to navigate, no one understands it. It, it It's, and no offense to any attorneys, but oh, you got to go through legal. Those are like horrible words for anyone right. to hear. It's no, please, mm. let's avoid it. Same thing with procurement. Oh, you got to go through your procurement shop. It's great. Add two years to what I was trying to do. But procurement is the way. It's the way that everything happens in government, whether it's people in the state capitol who have toilet paper or the modernizations that we're doing that are delivering services to citizens. That's a great way to end our inaugural episode, Jen. Thank you for spending some time. I look forward to this over the next few weeks. Yep, it's going to be fun. (laughs) 